synchronicities of this weekend were as follows. I was sitting around in my apartment on Sunday, not doing much of anything at all. I was having a hard time getting out of bed. And Sarah, my lady friend, talked to me for a moment over text, and I felt a little bit inspired to try to get out and get something going, to try to do something with my day. I was tasked by her to document my rituals. How I get ready, how I get out, and that sort of thing. And by tasks, I mean I asked her if she wanted to see anything of where I live, because it's a long-distance sort of situation. And that was her answer. And I thought, what a swell idea. So, this is what I did. I took pictures of random things, of my morning rituals, of putting on shoes and packing my backpack with my laptop and all sorts of other random accoutrement. Part of that random accoutrement is a box that I needed to go to the UPS store and a bag of change that uh, used to be a bucket of change that was sitting on the desk in the echo chamber. However, the bucket had exceeded its size, volume, occupancy load and needed to be emptied into a local coin star machine. And so I went walking into the hitherto unknown of Southeast Portland. The hitherto unknown of Southeast Portland consists of most of the streets I've walked on hundreds, if not thousands of times before, seeing pretty much the same sights, noticing there's more people, noticing that now there's two Tibetan shops, now there's three, now there's four, now there's two bagel shops, and now there's three, and now there's two donut shops next to the waffle place. And there's way more people walking on the street, and Portland is growing, and it's fine. So, I walked to the UPS store. It's just past the Third Eye shop, where I like to buy my incense. I walk up to the UPS store and notice that it's closed, with a sign clearly saying, Closed on Sundays. I felt rather dumb at that moment, because, well, it's a UPS store. There was no hope of it being open on a Sunday. I don't know why I assumed that wouldn't be the case. I guess I got caught up in the excitement of having something to do, and taking random pictures and video of random things that I see on a walk to send to a person somewhere else. So I kind of laughed at myself and went, well, that was stupid. I just walked three miles to do absolutely nothing. Now, my plan was, of course, to cash in the Coinstar stuff and go to the third eye shop to purchase random occult things, like incense or something along those lines. What I was actually looking for was a little bit of jade. Jade is supposed to be lucky with money, and it is, you know, supposed to be vibrating in a positive way. I understand that sounds like hippy-dippy shit, but, well, your humble narrator, Alex, happens to be into that aforementioned hippy-dippy shit. I went to, from there, the Fred Myers, which is a local 
grocery store here in Portland, Oregon, and probably all over the West Coast, but I'd not heard of Fred Meyer when I grew up on the East Coast. That S at the end confuses me, because to this day I don't know if it's Fred Meyer or it's Fred Meyers. Everything should have S's at the end. It makes things simpler, unless you need to make it possessive, like it's the Joneses' house, which then it makes it more difficult, and then there should never be an S at the end of any name. But I sold her on. I poured my change into the Coinstar, and it did its job. And its job was done well. I got $27, or 28 or some small amount like that. And I purchased some water, and I purchased some random nut-based bar that's all healthy and organic. And I ate one of those nut-based bars, and I walked to my occult store, the, um, the uh, Moon Shadow on Belmont. It's my main occult shop. I like that place very much. I don't know if I mentioned them on the show before. If I have not, please consider this. The Alex Cast recommendation that Moonshadow on Belmont and 38th is a wonderful store full of wonderful things and wonderful people buying those wonderful things and all those stuff that's wonderful within it. So I approached Moonshadow, ever walking, and I noticed that the lights were not exactly in the on position, and there was two young people staring through the window. I went to the door, and I see, closed, June 22nd, Sunday. It being June 22nd, Sunday, I found myself, well, I found myself a bit perturbed. I I could forgive myself for the UPS thing. How the hell was I supposed to know that mail isn't carried or delivered on Sundays? I've only lived on this earth for 33 years. How would I ever have known that fact? Yes. All those reasons you just thought of. And those other ones. And that one. Yep, those are the reasons. And so, it doesn't exist. I continued walking, and I thought, well, that's a bummer. I should turn around and go back to the third eye shop. But I thought, Belmont, being an odd street, there might be a, a gems shop, a, a, a bead store. Bead sells bead stores sell jade. Seems like a worthy endeavor. And I went. And I see a sign outside of a store that I had not noticed before. And it said crystals, gems, aromatherapy, flora and fauna. I don't know if it said fauna. It'd be weird if they sold animals there. But they definitely sold flora. I'm positive of it because the place smelled wonderful of flowers. So I said, well, I guess I'll try in here because it's open on a Sunday. June 22nd, I went in, and there's a lovely young woman standing in front of me when I walked in, and she smiled, and I nodded at her, because lovely young women smiling at me immediately makes me forget how smiling works, and I think nodding is appropriate, because, well, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. The first thing I noticed when I'm opening the store is the Wild Unknown Tarot deck. Wild Unknown Tarot deck is a wonderful deck. I've mentioned it on the show before. I don't actually own a copy uh, because I don't have any money. But these are beautiful, and they're done... I think the artist is out of Portland, and they're very nice. They're a beautiful deck, and I love it. So it's the first time I've ever seen them in the wild. And I didn't mean to make a self-referential pun to the title of the tarot, but I did. So you're just going to have to live with that. So I picked it up, and I looked, and then I waited for the nice young woman that was standing in the way to walk past me to make sure in confirmation that she indeed worked there. I have 
quite an anxiety about asking people for something in stores and them not actually working there. I think I go to a lot of places that people have name tags for this reason. I'm terrified of it. I went to an outdoor store to buy an aluminum water bottle because I'm afraid of BPA and I found out that there's estrogen in those bottles if it's exposed to UV, which my bottle often is. I walked in and the guy says hello to me and people say hello to me because I have a fat, friendly face. And I nodded at him and he didn't say anything further, like, can I help you with something? Or, hi, I work here. And since everybody in Portland looks like they work at an outdoor store, I was confused. So I said, do you work here? And he goes, well, yeah. And I went, oh, I wasn't sure if you were just being friendly or something. Where do water bottles exist? And he goes, oh, you see over there? Make a right and go down the steps and they're there. I was like, thank you. Which is just odd because it was kind of confrontational, his tone. Where generally when you say, you know, welcome to this establishment, the next thing, like I had a hard time not saying, can I help you with something? Because at home, let's do this together. Hi, welcome to my store. Can I try to stop yourself there. No, your immediate, your immediate desire is to say, can I help you with something? So I'm always afraid to ask people in stores things. So I waited for the pretty lady in the strange flora shop. You could call it a flower shop. But if you called it that, you'd be using proper nomenclature. And then Carl Linnaeus would laugh at you in Latin. That's a joke for seven people to understand. And I thank you for that laugh, seven people. So I really, she worked there and said, hi, um, I love this tarot. I'm glad I, this is the first time I've seen them in the wild. That's awesome. And she said, yeah, these designs are great. And I said, yeah, I'm like a tarot person. So I, I, yeah, it's really cool that, you know, this local thing exists. And I said it far more awkwardly than that, because anytime I admit to being a tarot person in public, there's usually a few reactions. One of which is a positive thing and questions get asked. And the other of which is kind of a scoffing, pshaw, why would you do such hokum and bunk? Well, b both of those reactions aren't exactly something I was trying to elicit. But um, so it went. And she said, oh yeah, that's really cool. And I said, yes, uh, thank you. I do like the tarot decks and I will pick these up at some point. So, I have a question for you. I was wandering around and I'm looking for a bit of jade. And I was just curious if by any happenstance you happen to have a bit of jade here. And she thought about it for a second, which was nice, because it's one of those questions that I don't know if you've ever walked into a flower shop and asked for a bit of jade before, but I assure you, once you say that part out loud, you realize, what the hell are you doing? You're in a flower shop asking for jade, which is very much not a flower. She said, no, I actually don't. But you know what? There's a new Tibetan shop right across the street, and they probably have that. And I said, oh, really? That's great, because I was just up at the moon shadow, and it was closed, and then and then there was somewhere else that was closed, and I probably rambled and stammered a bit. And she said, oh, that's, you know, I think she probably said something polite, like, oh, that's cool. And uh, she said, it's right across the street over there. I'm like, oh, that's cool. So just down this way, and pointed with my hand in a down-thiswardly way fashion. And she said, yeah, I'll show you. And she walked me outside. And I noticed on the way out that there's a sign right by where she was originally standing. I didn't see it because I immediately, upon seeing a pretty lady, went, oh, God, look down and nod. And it said, uh, like, aromatherapy readings or something like that. Uh, uh, aroma tarot readings. It wasn't tarot. But it, I got the vibe that this was some kind of 
energy healing place with aromatherapy, which made sense to me at that point because I'm not um I'm not one to be impressed by pretty people. It doesn't it doesn't really hold much truck with me, which I'm not sure if that's the phrase hold much truck. I've never tried to use that before, but I'm using it now. So I'm not really impressed. So anytime I kind of shy away from someone, I always I try to question my reasoning for it because beauty doesn't impress me. It's nice, like great, like way to go waterfall. You know, you're, you've done well for yourself. I like looking at you, but I don't know if you guys have ever wanted to fuck a waterfall. I certainly haven't. And in this case, same thing. What a nice waterfall. So I realized that I didn't see the sign and I didn't look because energy people, I immediately look away because, and this is going to be one of those things that you can mock me for later. No one will because no one listens to this show, but you can mock me later that I am sensitive on that level with energy stuff. And when I'm around someone that has one of those energy feels to them, the if you're around like a Reiki person or someone that does acupuncture or, you know, really proficient tower readers, if you're around, if, or if you're around someone that's been doing witchcraft for a long time, like not, not some idiot like me that, you know, throws a couple chaos magic spells here and there and, you know, does the banishing of the lesser pentagram or lesser banishing of the, see, I don't even know the names, not someone like me, you know, I vibrate with the vibration of basement dwelling weirdo that's read too many books, but those people have a different thing. I always have this bit of a, Ugh, don't, don't come near me, you, I will poison you with my horrors. So anyway, and then I felt silly because I said I'm a tarot reader and now I feel like I'm a fake because this is obviously a person that's quite good at this stuff. And anyway, that was the point. So I walked outside with the young lady and she pointed in the thatwardly direction as previously referenced. And I had realized that I hadn't taken my headphones out yet. I had had just the, uh, the right headphone out, which I always do at work. So it is known that while I am listening to something, I'm also paying attention. But I had been so uncomfortable with the interaction in this store. Uh, not uncomfortable in a bad way, just uncomfortable in a, well, this is not something I'm used to. You know, I, I should just treat this person like anybody else, and which I did. I acted awkwardly around them. So she said over there and she described the sign. Uh, she said the, the building and she used uh, a color word that I didn't know and blue. Blue I'm very familiar with. But you use some other word, like vermilion, which I know that word. And I'm not sure what the color is, but some word I'm not familiar with. And I said, I'm not seeing it. I'm like, all right, there's the sign for the pizza place. There's the sign that says Circo, whatever. And there's the other thing. She goes, yeah, right there between the two. I'm like, oh, that's really great. Uh, thank you very much. I'll check it out. I appreciate that. And then she said something that I don't under that I didn't understand. And at that point, I re I had this kind of confluence of of confused ideas here, where I had just followed a strange sequence to end up at this store, and to find one of those open energy people to be nice and help you. I don't think the open energy thing I've described properly. Like, if you ever see. If you ever see Ram Das, you know, that, uh, that dude, he will be here now. He's, you know, sixties, you know, follower of Buddhism. He did, uh, 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 what's the name of his master? That quite, quite a famous, quite a famous sage, like Maharaji. Uh, I think it's the same guys that the Beatles visited. I might be wrong about that. I probably am. Anyway, his name was Richard Alpert. If you're fans of Lost, that's where he got named. So anyway, if you watch Ram Das, that thing, that, um, 
grounded thing that he puts out. That's that's the thing I'm referencing. And it's it's like cognitive dissonance when when creatures as myself go anywhere near them. Um so just to describe that because it sounds like I'm do, I'm fawning over someone. I shouldn't have pointed out that she was attractive. But in my narrative that's important because it's like a double whammy of openness and attractive. And it's like, ah, duh, I don't want to talk to you. Go away. You're all nice. And I'm horrible and have a humped back. So she pointed, and then she said something else uh, about something being nice or a color or something. But I was so wrapped up in one, not being able to hear her that well, because now we're outside and there's traffic noise. And I have one headphone full of, I don't remember what I was listening to at that moment, but one headphone full of that. And the other ear full of traffic noise and this lady saying something. So I'm now distracted by the fact that I've realized that I have headphones on still and it's way too late. I've already been impolite to this young woman and I also can't understand what she just said. But to ask her what at this point was kind of fruitless because I'd already gotten what I came in there for. Which I don't mean to be such a jerk about it, but the fact is I was looking for a bit of jade. This nice young woman pointed me in that way. And that's the end of our interaction. I have no reason to ever shop at a florist. Um, it's just not a thing that I have to do. I'm never going to have an interaction with this woman again. So I kind of bailed and I felt a little bad about it, but I didn't know how to end. I don't know how to have normal conversation. I don't know what polite people say to each other. Um, I know how to, I think the thing that bothered me is that this is a weird person and I feel like I probably should have known how to interact with a weird person, but I didn't doesn't matter anyway if inexplicably you know the person that works at that place tell her said thank you for pointing me in the that worthy lead direction which ended up in this tibetan shop so i walked in and there's a lady that looks of indian descent outside and i nodded her and i'm thinking oh she must be the person that works here and then i felt slightly racist because i didn't think about that at the outdoor store because everybody in portland looks like a white guy that works at an outdoor store and frankly a lot of the women in Portland look like the kind of lady that would work at a strange florist. So I walk in and I kind of do the take a cursory look around, but try to give off the impression of like, hey, I'm kind of here for something specific, um, which I don't know if you've ever tried to practice that kind of that kind of outward body language with such a complicated form. It's difficult because most people would just say something to the lady outside. But since I've already established I'm not good at asking whether or not someone works in a store or whether or not they're just nice people that are nodding to me on the way in, because nice people nod to me. I have a fat, friendly face. So I make eye contact. She comes over and I'm like, oh, good. This is somebody that works here. And I said, hi, I'm looking for a bit of jade. And she said, huh? And I said, I'm looking for a bit of jade. She says, oh, yeah, good. And she points me in a direction. And that is a jade wonderland. I mean, if you if you saw a mountain of jade, you'd go, wow, that's a lot more than is in front of me in this Tibet shop. But there's a significant amount of jade. Now, my idea was to have a uh, tiny bit of jade, a little a, a, a pebble, a stone, uh, a, an X amount. I don't know how one measures the sizes of stones, but let's say no larger than that big marble you use to knock the other marbles in the game of marbles. I don't know what that one's called. This metaphor was terrible. I leave these things in. Because I think it's funny, if anybody occurs to them while they're listening to me ramble, that I could just edit that part out and use a real metaphor, or look up the name of the big marble. Eh, I don't do that. So, and I say, oh, good. And she shows me these prayer beads that she has, uh, the, one, the, the kind you wear on your wrist, not like the full bead necklace. 
and I wear those already. Like I have, um, I think it's you know, Bodhi beads. Uh, uh, they're is it the Bodhi tree? Is that the name of it? But you know the traditional wood beads. I also have a set made of uh, green tourmaline. I think it's green tourmaline. It's it's some green thing. And then uh, I saw these, and they're made of jade. I was like, oh, that's really cool. And there's I got one that has this little metal metal ball in the middle, kind of as the um, what do you call that? Like the grounding stone, you know, the one that you start your mantras on. And oh yeah, that was probably one of the things that you explained. You have uh, like on the on the prayer necklaces, you'll see they've got like a little mandala hanging from them, little uh, braided thing with a design in the middle. I mean, it looks like a mandala. And what you do, you kind of start from there, and you say the the the, the entirety of it. You say a prayer on each beat. So Om Mani Padme Om, Om Mani Padme Om, Om Mani Padme Om, Om Mani Padme Om, Om Mani Padme, and you get back to the beginning. I often like to do that and then when you get back to the beginning i'll say something else you know just maybe like an om or like you do a some other chant you know chant higher krishna if you want whatever you want to do so mine's got a little metal ball the other one had a bigger piece of jade there and the other one i forget what it was and she put it in my hand and it was just heavier and energetic and i was like oh this is nice like this is, yeah this is what i was looking for and again i know what i sound like but the fact is this is the way i experience the world and i have to tell you guys about it in that way because if i didn't you you know, it would be fake, it'd be false, and I'm trying not to approach the world in that way. I try to give you guys honesty as much as I can, or I just don't say anything at all. So, yes, I'm someone that, when holding gems and stones and crystals, I do feel some form of vibration. I'm kind of embarrassed about it myself, but it's the way I perceive the universe. You know, some people are colorblind, some people feel energetic vibrations from bits of crystal. And, you know, let's face it, it worked for radios. So she puts it down my hand. I'm like, oh, this is nice. And then she showed me another one. I'm like, oh, this is really nice. Another one. I'm like, this is nice. And then she showed me the prayer necklace made out of jade. And ooh, I was like, that was like putting your tongue in a nine volt battery. Like that was just powerful stuff. I was like, wow, this is amazing. And unfortunately, when she was showing me the the, the bracelets, they were um twelve bucks. And I was like. I only want like I want to spend like four bucks. Like I just want a little piece of a just a little marble sized thing of jade that I can just kind of you know fiddle about with. Twelve bucks is already enough, but like this lady was very nice. She seemed excited about it, and she asked me why I wanted it. And I told her, well, you know, it's for good luck, and you know, right now in my life, I need luck. I need you know, I have a certain kind of desire to get quick money in a in a positive way, you know, to to get me out of my my doldrums. And uh, she said, yeah, you know, I understand. Yeah, this is very good. And she's like, oh, it's good for warding away, you know, evil things. And I'm like, yeah, it's nice. And I'm like, oh, you know what? Unfortunately, let me just give you this necklace back now because I'll talk myself into this. And I, I can't spend $45 on a on a jade necklace. And although, like, it was $45 seemed like really cheap for that. But, like, I just didn't have it. So I'm looking at that. And I'm like, oh, you know what? You know what? Let me, let me get this one. I like the one with a little metal ball on it. It feels really nice. I actually had forgotten to wear my Bodhi bead one on the way out of the house, I'd noticed it on the way to the florist lady, which I didn't know that's where I was heading. Uh, I noticed I wasn't wearing it. I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, I, I, I always wear it. I wear it everywhere. Like, well, I don't wear it to work just because I, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't really like bringing anything spiritual to work. That is a place for just, that is mind-numbing drudgery. Let us not mix any kind of spirituality or positivity into that place. So I just thought, well, that's um, that's kismet synchronicity coincidence that is a sign from the loving universe that i must in all haste purchase this thing and i said well, i got coinstar money that coinstar money was earmarked for other things but 
you know what? It's fine. I cover it, and I'm going to have 12 bucks left over. Because after I had purchased things, I ended up having, uh, yeah, I ended up having 26 bucks. So, so as she's ringing me up, I see these, these um, rings. I'm not a wearer of rings. I have horrible, horrible, stubby fingers, and I don't like drawing attention to them. Except for on a podcast that gets listened to by oftentimes thousands of people. And I will gladly say it to all of you. But I don't know why that's different. But it is. And I was looking and I'm like, oh, what are these? And she says, oh, those are, those are prayer rings. And I'm like, ooh, I like the sound of this. And I like it because I see one's got the um, the Om symbol. The other one's got the shorthand for Om Mani Padme Om. That, like the four thing. Uh, um, you've seen it before. And then I noticed that she goes, oh, they move. They're, they're prayer and it's a it's a copper band inside of another copper band like a like the one that the part that actually touches your finger looks like the wheel well from a car uh, whatever you call that a tub or whatever and then there's a you know a regular ring shaped thing and on it in carved in sanskrit is om mani padme om and it's like those it's like those prayer um bell things you see in in tibet which have not been to tibet but i've seen many documentaries where you walk by and you spin them and it's you know it gives you luck and om mani padme om it's supposed to ward away the bad things and part of my practice, not just spiritual, but part of my practice into stop being such an anxious man is I chant mantra when I walk around. I try to sync my heartbeat and my and my rhythm to chants. Um, it's very helpful. It's also helpful as a writer where you can kind of, if you blast Tibetan monk chant while you're typing, it's a pretty good way to keep typing. Just say there's a certain kind of hypnotic cadence to it. And it feels like you're doing something magical. It feels like you're participating in a ritual, even when you're doing something as simple as walking home. So I was like, oh, man, these are cool. And she, I'm like, how much are they? And she goes, oh, these? Oh, right there. And she points at the sign. And the, the sign uh, had sunk into the little foam that the rings were sitting in. And she goes, right there. And the, but the sign sunk enough that the price was there. She pulled it up and $10. I thought, well, I can afford that. That'd be twenty-two dollars. That would leave me with like three, four bucks, which is an interesting number because iced coffee at the coffee shop I want to go to is three dollars. I said, you know what? This is the universe talking to me. You know, this is a prayer wheel for my finger. This is this is shade what I was out to look for, and this is the money that is directly referenced in those numbers. I said, well, I have to do this. You know, this has to be perfect. So. I talked to the lady some more, and she said, oh, it's uh, Om Mani Padme Om. And I said, oh, cool. I'm like, that's the one I use. I use that in Nam Myo Range Kyo. And I said it, like, better, but not well. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I probably murdered the pronunciation on that. And she says, no, no, you said it good. You, know, you said it well. I didn't mean, I don't know why I'm doing an accent now. She had a very thick accent. But me trying to mimic it is terrible because I don't know what a Tibetan accent sounds like. Although, when I was speaking to her, I said, you know, it, I knew that it was an accent. And since it's called Gifts from Tibet or something along those lines... I was putting level money that she was probably somewhere from the, you know, Tibetan area. So uh, she told me that I pronounced it well. And I said, well, what about, and I said, Om Mani Padme Om. And she said, oh, yeah, yeah. And, she, you know, it was good. So, um, you know, that Om Mani Padme Om part, I may have actually, that may not have happened. I may have thought of that later when I was walking home. But the Nami Ranga Kyo, that happened. I said that out loud. You know, I often have conversations with myself while walking around or conversations with other people. Um, just a way to practice interaction i suppose so you don't panic when you know you see a random guy in a sports shop and you're curious whether he's just being friendly or he works there so i purchased the ring and i purchased the bracelet 
and I just decided to walk home and he took some more pictures and on the way back I realized that I had walked like six or seven miles and I needed to stop being sweaty. So my idea was to stop in, I was going to have a nice change of shirt and I'd head back out. Then I got distracted and I didn't head back out. But the important thing is, well the night before, oh sorry, important part of the story, on Saturday I had written, I think I had written 1600 words, no 1400 words on Saturday, which for me is, that's, that's up there with like the most I can write in a single session. I mean that's, that's a really, really good session for me. So I was kind of forgiving of myself on Sunday that I didn't want to go to the coffee shop and, and, and get writing done. And I was thinking, I mean, my better angels are saying maybe you will, but I just didn't get around to it. You know, I couldn't, I didn't get to it. So I was sitting around there and I ended up, um, texting a little bit more uh, with, with Sarah, who I was sending pictures to. It wasn't that much, uh, because she was busy and doing other things. So good. And I ended up not doing anything and, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go to the bar I like. And I did. And the evening ended there. Fine. However, this is where synchronicity number two, which did technically happen. I've been recording for 29 minutes now. This happened about 45 minutes ago. So, I was walking home from work. I was actually walking to a car to go from work. So earlier that day, I was speaking to someone and she had mentioned that a Renaissance festival concept, just random thing. And I thought, I was like, oh, that would be a fun thing to go to. And I remembered going to the Renaissance festival in Sterling Forest, New York. I used to go, not a bunch each summer, but at least once a summer, oftentimes many more than that. And I knew a guy that, I don't know if he ever actually worked there technically, but uh, my buddy Andrew, who I'll leave his last name out because he goes under a different name nowadays. So my buddy Andrew was there and I've been there with him a bunch of times and positive memory. So because this was brought up, I was kind of daydreaming driving home about going to the Renaissance Festival with my lady friend. It's impossible. It's just one of those dumb little things that you think of and it's fun and, you know, it's just a, it's just a fun thing to go through. And I was doing that and in my random fantasy land, I run into Andrew. I hadn't thought of him in quite some time. Like, it's not, you know, this is not someone that is currently in my life at all. You know, he's just, I guess I see him on Facebook, but it's not like we have any real interaction. Um, yeah, so I'm kind of running through. I'm like, hey, nice to see you. This is blue, blah, 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 blah. So, dumb little fantasy. I go home and I end up having a nice conversation with my lady friend. I was telling her, like, oh, this random thing about, I started to think about um, uh, this guy, Andrew, who I knew in high school. And, you know, just one of those dumb side comments uh, that, you know, I just I inexplicably like to practice conversation with people, run through possibilities of things to happen that day. It is a nothing little nothing. It was just a thing I said during the conversation, a thing I thought earlier that day. Cute enough. Continuing on. So I get off the phone with my lady friend and I go to the computer and I check Twitter and respond to a DM and I open my old Yahoo mail account, which I keep for essentially my mom and my dad and people that I don't want knowing my real information. And what do you think I see when I open Yahoo mail? At horror show, Jack wants you to join Twitter. At horror show, Jack is the trade name for my friend, Andrew, who I never talked to in a really long time. I haven't said his name in years. Five minutes after hanging up 
with my lady friend. I see an invite from him. And that is just the craziest thing. That is so, so long shot. It is incredibly odd. So apparently he had just joined Twitter. And so I immediately uh, texted her about it. And then uh, in some kind of, I'm sure, hurried way, I said, holy crap, dude, I just said your name not but 45 minutes ago. And then after a few minutes have passed, I followed up with, oh, by the way, this is Alex Bolin. I probably should have said that before because I haven't talked to him for long enough. I have no idea if he knows what what a podcast is or what an Alex cast is. So uh, he got back and said, hey, Ben, how's it going? Followed me back. And I haven't followed. Uh, this is, you know, this is fresh. You know, after he sent me, how are you doing? I responded. And then I have not checked Twitter since then. But I just thought, what a what a terrifically odd thing to have happen. What a terrifically odd bit of synchronicity. So let me read the question that I had for this week in regards to the stories I just told. You guys may know I was on the Higher Side Chats, uh, quite a quite a good podcast, uh, well well more popular than mine. And uh, the co-host that night is Kyle Prindeville, which I'm I apologize, Kyle, if I mispronounced your name, but I don't know that I actually heard it said. And if I did, I forgot immediately because, well, let's face it. I don't really value the pronunciation of names that much. Um, my last name is Bolin, and um, you guys have never said it right once. But I don't care to correct you, because I have no association with this name. It's just the one that my dad had when he had sex with my mom 34 years ago. So at Kyle Prindeville, K-Y-L-E-P-R-I-N-D-I-V-I-L-L-E, ask me, what techniques do you use? Wait, wait, sorry. What techniques do you recommend for increasing synchronicity? How can we notice the bigger picture while in the right now? He also follows up with, Can you explain the service-to-self slash will-to-evil personality type? Do humans have the potential for evil? Stroke. Are they possessed? These are fine questions, and I shall get to them shortly. Come on down to the standard. 14 Northeast 22nd. 14 Northeast 22nd. Northeast Portland. Conveniently in America. Perfect. So synchronicity. So how can you increase it? It's easy. You don't. Synchronicity isn't a thing. Synchronicity is a symptom. Synchronicity is a byproduct. It's not a thing that you want to increase. What you want to increase is the way that you're living your life that allows for synchronicity. What I mean by that is if you are let's put it this way, because I've been quite hippy-dippy this episode. If you put yourself in a frame of mind that you are open and receptive, that you are living in the now at that given moment, you're not future-based, you're not past-based, you're trying to live a complete life in which that moment is the one that matters, and not to throw away the future or the past, but that you are focused and living at that moment. If you are, you will find yourself finding more synchronicity because you're more aware of your surroundings. You're not daydreaming about Renaissance festivals. You are there now looking down. You might go, oh, look, a tiny plastic orange dinosaur in a gutter, which is a reference to Periphery, the book I wrote, which I don't know if Kyle's read it, but I know some of you out there have. And that's kind of the point of the book. Well, not the point of the book, but that's the reason that that dinosaur is there is that when you follow in the book, it's referenced the followers of the periphery will start noticing strange synchronicities and the people that read the book did start noticing strange synchronicities. They started to find plastic dinosaurs. Is that magical? Maybe not. But 
maybe who cares the point is if you're living in the moment both magically or just psychologically you'll be seeing more synchronicity now you're not doing that to increase synchronicities what you're doing that is to increase your perception to, to make yourself more aware of the world around you to be a better person be here now going back to ram das from earlier so how can we notice the bigger picture while in the right now and that's the one that i really struggle with i mean i do struggle with living in the now and at times I get there, and a lot of times I don't. A lot of times my anxiety is based purely around what's going to happen instead of what is happening. And there's another part of kind of magic where it overlaps with psychology is that you are bringing forth the thing if you're worried about the thing, whether it's by magical use or by psychological use. If you are so concerned that your car is going to break down, you're going to drive in a way that you normally don't drive your car. Or you're going to drive routes that you normally wouldn't drive to avoid your car breaking down in an uncomfortable area. You're going to change the way you live, and that's going to bring about the car breaking down. Not because it's magically doing it, or maybe it is, but you can say it scientifically that you're driving on back roads instead of highways, and you're getting more vibrations to the wheels. The thing is, you're doing things in a different way, so the car's reacting in a different way. And, you know, if you've shaken something up and down for an hour, you know, uh, uh, some kind of, you know, washing the machine. It shakes in a, in a, in a vertical motion. And it can do that for an hour every day for weeks upon weeks. Now, if it starts shaking horizontally, it could break in an hour. It could break in seconds because you're changed the way it's operating. And not to go, and if you want to extend that metaphor to the hippy dippy side and say literal vibrations of people, sure. So, if you're driving your car in a new way and it stresses it because you're you're forcing it into something it's not naturally there, you will break it. If you're in a relationship and you're worried about, let's say you're worried that um, you're worried about being able to afford your child's college uh, fund, so you sit there and just worry about money and worry about money and worry about money, and it's likely your job performance might slip, and you might actually bring about a situation where you can't afford your child's college fund. You might get so obsessed with, um, you know, your significant other, you might get obsessed with them um, getting bored of you, let's say. And so what you're going to do is either worry about it and bring about that change, that bad change, or you're going to overreact and then act in a way that's unaccustomed to you, and you're actually manifesting a reality. So... In order to kind of keep your eye on where you are now while maintaining the larger, the bigger picture, an eye on the bigger picture, I think it's to live honestly within yourself and not try to, not try to bring forth something that's unnatural to you. So if you call attention to something, if you worry about something overly, you can call forth that thing. So you can, the idea is that you live your life while looking at other things, which sounds like I'm just rewording the question as a statement. But well, what I mean is you, you be here now, you act in your way and you are self-aware enough to, you know, see your behaviors, change them, change the way you think, follow a path that you get better. And as you follow a path that you get better, you can look at other things and not worry about them. And that's how you stay in the bigger picture. So instead of those people that go nuts and, and, uh, you know, anonymous or something, I'm not Pardon me, I can't think. I'm I'm so politically ignorant. Um, some group that gets really overly vocal, uh, atheists, uh, vegans, people that start screaming at you, uh, born again Christians. 
These are people that are not looking at the whole. They get so obsessed with the thing they're afraid of. They're so obsessed with the thing that they're focused on that they're actually manifesting reality where they're useless. I mean, what's more annoying than a preachy vegan? And what they're trying to do, you know, they've now manifested reality that breaks it. But they were trying to see the bigger picture, but by losing focus on the now. So you have to essentially uh, just be you, dog. <laughs> as long as you isn't a piece of shit. And that will manifest itself on to the rest of the world. That will manifest your personality. So, you know, you're not going to be worried about your car or your significant other or anything like that. What you're going to be doing is living your life. And if you find the things that you care about, if you care about, you know, conspiracy theory or how to stop the Bilderbergs, just to use the higher side example, if you're not freaking out on it, if you're not going all Alex Jones or tinfoil hats or buying armament and moving to Texas, well, that's how you can keep your eye on the bigger pictures because you're living your life in a satisfactory and satisfactory way and that you're kind of showing how to live a life. You know, you're, you're an example of a better way of being. And by doing that, you can interact with the larger world readily because you're not going to take anything of that on. And you're not going to manifest anything within it. You're just going to manifest yourself as a, you know, a sentient, sovereign human being that is in charge of his or her own reality. And that's it. That's how you interact with the world, you know, at least to me. But I'm also, uh, I'm a, I'm a ridiculously romantic person. I way too optimistic and well, maybe not too optimistic. Forget that. I take that back. I'm quite optimistic. And that's the way I view the world. And yeah, that's it. So I think you can watch the bigger picture as long as you know who's doing the observer. You know, that's another thing about another thing about kind of observational meditation or, you know, just any of that stuff where mindfulness meditation is mind the observer. So if you're looking at world events, make sure you know who you is. You know, if you were thinking within yourself and you go, Oh man, I'm I'm so fat and stupid. And then you go, who said that? And then you have to go, wait, who just questioned the thing? So who is the narrator and who's the one saying stuff? And if you can get a hold of that, if you can stop those flyaway thoughts, you know, the things that stop you from meditating, you become better and you can interact with the rest of the world much more readily. And yeah, that's my answer for that. Now, this is going the other way. Let us delve into the deep, dark secrets of mankind. Can you explain the service to self, will to evil, personality type? Do humans have the potential for evil? Are they possessed? I'm not totally convinced that possession happens. Um, I think possession probably is just really severe forms of mental illness that went untreated or existed in a time where mental illness was not a term that was used or understood. But can do humans have the potential for evil? Yes, we absolutely do. And this is the fight that I have with myself constantly. Not that I fight myself for being evil. I don't particularly have much of an urge for anything that would be considered evil. I don't like to lie. I don't like to cheat. I don't like to steal. Well, I mean, unless it's from like a big corporation, but that's more of an act of rebellion. I don't, I'm not violent. I would never want to punch someone. Um, I couldn't think of anything worse than killing someone. I would, uh, I would sooner die myself. It's, I'm not in any way fitting of the forms of the various ways of evil. However, I know a lot of people that would. There's a lot of people that are just have a dark soul. And I think this comes from, and I'm not, let me just take a step back there. I'm not saying I'm great or even good. I just mean the term evil because there's a difference. You know, you can be a shitty guy and not be evil, you know, which I, I like to believe myself to be. I'm not evil, but I'm kind of a bag of shit. But uh, so there are people that are evil because what we are, in my estimation, and this is one of those things that we have to fight with, is we're upright apes. We are products of a million generations of 
rape, slaughter, and violence. And within that rape, slaughter, and violence, we, you know, we leapt from the trees, we became upright, we started using stone tools, we killed our neighbors, and then we painted the Sistine Chapel, wrote unbelievably wonderful, beautiful poetry. We um, fell in love and we had infinite amounts of open-hearted, wonderful empathy to each other. We have had so many romantic situations that came out perfectly. We have done so much wonderful good in the universe that is almost unthinkably wonderful. And it is a product of speciation based on violence. It's, it's chimpanzees bashing their, their competitors' brains in and then eating their children. It is survival of the fittest. However, it's survival of the fittest to the point that we became self-aware. And because we became self-aware, we became aware of something that we can call the soul, if you want to believe in the soul. Now, they're my great arguments, whether or not there actually is something beyond just the fleshy meat sack. But there are people that don't have that, that aren't going to think about the soul, that aren't going to consider it. And I'm not saying if you don't believe in the soul, you're evil. That's absurd. I know some very, very nice people that don't believe in the soul. Very sweet, very understanding people. However, if you're a person that has violent tendencies, maybe it's genetic. We have had just generations upon generations of violence spread into us. That doesn't have that that concept, that idea of soul, that idea of of stewardship over our fellow man. Yeah, there is a will to evil there, but I wouldn't say it's evil. I think it fits evil, but what it is is monkey logic. Service to self is Darwinism. Will to evil is Darwinism. If evil gets you a fitter mate, if evil gets you a better job, if evil gets you, evolutionarily speaking, passing your genes down more efficiently, which it has many, many times. I don't know if you can call it evil. I mean, you can, but how much are we sovereign onto ourselves? How much can we give ourselves dominion over our choices? Now, I can tell you, if I did something like that, it would be evil. It would be an act of unspeakable evil. I would not do that because I understand the depth of that. Now, if somebody that doesn't understand that, I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying it's bad. It's horrible. It is disgusting on a fundamental level, and it just should not be allowed. However, to use the term evil is to imply humanity to it. That chimpanzee killing its neighbor and eating his children isn't evil. It's, it's a monkey, or a chimpanzee, I suppose. So, we being upright apes, that it became self-aware enough to create love poetry and to and to paint the Sistine Chapel and to invent philosophy and to come up with Shakespeare and Richard Brodigan. Yeah, there's two sides of a very, very dissimilar coin there. Are we spirits experiencing a meat sack existence? Or are we meat sack existence that has tricked ourselves into spirituality? Not everybody does have that spirituality trick in them. So they are responsible for their behavior, absolutely, because we do have free will, or at least we have the illusion of free will. The point is we think we can choose, and therefore we can choose. So that is service to self. That is a will towards evil. But I hesitate to use evil because evil connotes your belief in it. Evil connotes you have an acceptance of it. Yeah, it's bad. It's evil towards the people that don't want that to happen, but to them it's Darwinian. 
and we are upright apes, if you want to believe that way. I mean, I, I tend to lean more towards we are vibrating weird soul entity type things, experiencing a bit of human flesh for a little bit. But the point is, you can't blame the human flesh for the human flesh things. You can blame the person or the, the thought pattern behind it. So I'm not saying if someone murders someone else, I'm not saying that it's not evil, because I can say it's evil, but are they evil? to them, to themselves, but they don't believe in that, you know? It's like that thing, is one of my main arguments. I'm sorry, I know I'm being a little evasive here. It's kind of difficult to draw the different. There's a, Nietzsche wrote a book uh, called Good and Bad, Good and Evil, which kind of differentiates the two, and I read it way too long ago to get into the details, but I think there's a certain amount of, like, essentially, the monkey logic is evil, and then the will towards good and service to mankind and service to others is the spiritual logic. That's the That's the glowy part. That's the... That's the spiritual stuff. That's the stuff we like. That's the that's the synchronicities and the and the jade bracelet on my wrist. But it's using. I guess what I'm saying here. Let me if I can draw an analogy. So the main thing I hate about the whole science versus religion argument is this: science going or people defending science going. Well, you have to use reason. The scientific method says this. Well, why the fuck do they have to play by your rules? If they're believers in spirituality, they don't go. Well, no, your science is wrong because the Ten Commandments say so. I mean, they do say that, but you don't take that as a valid theory because you're thinking about the world through two separate filters. So on a science side, I don't think you can call it evil because it is the the inclination of Darwinism, it is survival of the fittest, uh, would be, I mean, essentially what we consider evil. But to use the term evil is to kind of hop the fence to the other side. That's a word. That's a word for the purview of religion and spirituality. What you would use is, is, you know, it's, it's negative, it's bad, but not evil. But yeah, that will, that, um, that will towards you, the service of self is, it is a tricky one because, you know, if you look at it just from a pure monkey logic standpoint, it's the one that probably makes the most sense. But this is that thing where if you look at it, atheism does make the most sense. There's, it's, I mean, logically it's the one that's there. However, I'm not an atheist, but you know, you can look at it and, you know, sit down, stare it in the face makes the most sense, but you don't have to adopt it, you know? So the service to self, I think, is probably mankind's, on some level, natural inclination. But the reason that mankind has done anything interesting is because we go against our natural inclinations. There is... I don't know that we would... I don't know that when when we come back, if, you know, some alien species looks at the, the thoroughness of our of our timeline, and they say... You know, what is what is the proudest thing that the species has done? What is the highlight of this species? They don't go, oh, you were ug beat nug over the head and took his wife. You know, you would you would probably point towards the Parthenon or 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 Van Gogh, which I can't say his name right. Van Gogh. I, I heard uh, an actual person from um, from. Wherever the hell he's from, pronounce his name. Where the hell is he from? Anyway, Dutch. Anyway, point is, um. You would point towards you would point towards Shakespeare. You'd point towards beauty. You you you'd point towards art. You'd point to the thing that you would think, like when you're in college, the humanities. That is what humanity would be defined by, even though that's not the thing that allowed us to be this way. Oh man, that is a hard thing to describe. I suppose I'm saying, if you um, okay, if if you go on like the best vacation ever, right? You're in some sunny environment and you're drinking things with rum and coconut in it 
And in my case, you have a you have a black parasol and you're reading a book under it and then the person you're with is enjoying the sun. You don't go, oh, well, how was your vacation? Like, oh, what was your vacation like? What was the highlight? Oh, well, we, we got into the airplane and sat there for a bit. So when you think about humanity, we don't think about falling from the trees and Ugg and Bug and, and Romulus and Remus and, and the, the violent horrors that have been inflicted. But you think about poetry and you think about the humanities. You think about emotion because that's the gift we gave the universe. So will to evil, will to serve is kind of a remnant part of our monkey nature that still hangs out. And I suppose I'm just saying, you know, you don't, you know, don't, don't hate the sinner, hate the sin. So will to evil, will towards self is just someone that is obeying an outdated set of principles that genetically serve us more strongly, which is why I was drawing the comparison to atheism in a certain way or communism. Communism works really well on paper until anybody tries it. And then it goes, Oh my God, what the hell just happened? Everybody's so hungry and we're crying and someone please fucking help us. They'll be fair. From the horrors of communism came, well, actually no, czarist Russia is where all the good writers came from, right? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. What the fuck do I know? I don't know shit about politics. I know a little bit about world history, but um, I don't, yeah, politics I shouldn't get into. So, will to evil, will to serve, I think is, um, it's the monkey nature of our, of our duality is the, you know, that is the, that is the fleshy bit that the Buddha was walking around in. And that expression, that fleshy bit can be strong, but we are stronger because we're humans. And if you want to give up your humanity, of course you can, you know, but again, you know, when they, if, if some alien civilization, like when those, when those fucks at the end of, uh, of that robot movie come back and look for a little Haley Joe Osmond from the blue fairy. They're not going to look at humanity all frozen in time and go, wow, they sure killed the fuck out of each other. I mean, they might be, they might, yeah, I'm sure they'll say that because I think it'd be rather shocking. But I think, uh, I think the thing that would define us, the thing if they go, well, look at the, look at the monkeys and then look at them. All right. They built shit and they made pretty stuff. And then the monkeys are like, well, they killed shit. And yeah, pretty much everything else is the same. But the pretty stuff is the one that, that differentiates us between the apes. So the will to evil is the will towards the ape nature. But the will towards the ape nature is the thing that got us here. So, I don't know, I guess I'm just a little forgiving of, of the Darwinist thing that happened to get us here. You have to go through horrible fires to get to something good. You must be beaten horrifically with hammers, thrown into fire and beaten with hammers again, and then eventually you become a really strong bit of steel that can be made into a sword. Or in this case, turned into a plow, because we're talking about peaceful things. Delightful. So... Thank you, uh, Kyle Prendeville, for the question. I'm just about done. I was going to talk for 20 minutes and tell you the synchronicities of this weekend, and I did an hour because I'm Alex, and I talk a lot. Here's the thing that I wanted to tell you, too. I'm reading Love in the Time of Cholera, which is not nearly as good as 100 Years of Solitude, Marquez. Um, Love in the Time of Cholera is fine. Just, yeah, I don't know. It just didn't hit me as well. Uh, 100 Years of Solitude is, a, is kind of an amazing book, and Love in the Time of Cholera is like, yeah, it's pretty good. But, um... In the book, he's got a character that, uh, this is the quote, um, his wife uh, leaves a vase filled with sweet-smelling flowers on his desk every day. And his real, Mark, his real wife did that. for They were married for 57 years, and every morning she left, uh, she left a little vase with a white flower in it. And I know I'm way too sweet this episode, and I, I'm going to come back later in this week. The entire episode is going to be jokes about uh, getting kicked in the dick. But <laughs> in this one... I just thought that was really sweet. 57 years of that. And I loved reading that book and seeing that one little spot in it. And 
it was kind of just awkward and it wasn't it didn't really fit but again synchronicity i'd only found out about that white flower thing about two days before i read that and i thought that was i don't know i just thought it was nice i like this i like that old people stuff i think it's fun good for them hey hey right there marquez he beat he beat the monkey nature good good for him good good for him um gabby i think they call them or that might be a neurotransmitter that's gabba anyway good this has been an episode of the Alex Talks About Spiritual Shitcast, and I thank you for listening. Uh, at the end of the episode, please let me remind you of various things. If you go to alexcast.com, Alex is always spelled with two X's, you can see various links there. If you click books, you can click on the two books that I've written. The Void Sutras, which I was reminded earlier today, I got that from Jim Carroll, who wrote a book called um, Void of Course. Um, I was I found a quote, well actually a quote of his popped in my mind earlier and here let me tell you about that because i had completely forgotten i that that the void sutures although it was completely the, the reason i chose it over the other various forms of title that i was going with is that there was a jim carroll reference in it and i kind of let me slip my mind but jim carroll said this my voice is a quiver a quiver is where you keep your arrows until you shoot them how fucking good is that it's good I'll answer for you. So I don't remember why I started talking about Jim Carroll. What what the hell was? Oh, I was closing things. Yeah. So you can find the Void Sutures on there or Periphery, the novel that I wrote that is filled with synchronicity. Uh, it is filled with strange occult stuff. You'll like it. If you're going to shop on Amazon, please click the Amazon link on my site. I get a small percent of your purchase. You don't have to pay anything extra. So that's really helpful because I don't have any money. And if you're just like one of those people that has money, there's a PayPal link and you could send me money with PayPal and then I could use it to buy the various things I need, like food, uh, jade things if you had sent me paypal last month i could have a jade prayer necklace on right now how good would that be not very i'd probably feel like an idiot so there's that stuff you can find me on twitter at the alexcast i'm facebook.com slash alexcast and that should be just about that yeah fun times so thank you very much for listening i shocked that i just talked for this long and my throat hurts now and i need to do something. I don't like finishing shows because I never know what to say. But I get, well, this is the appropriate one. So from all of us here in the studio, that being me, to all of you there outside at home, that being like 12 of you that actually listen. I think everybody else just downloads it to make me feel better, which I really appreciate that. I mean, thanks for making me feel better. It does. I like seeing those numbers come in. I'm the 91st most popular entertainment show on, on Stitcher. Yeah, rock. Good times had by all. So yeah, um, that's good. Thank you for listening. I love all of you. Well, most of you I do. But okay, I'm fond of most of you. There's okay. There's various levels of my love for you, and and yours. And let's face it, you can put yourselves in those order. I mean, I know a few of you know who's in last place. I know maybe two of you know who's in first place. Though you're you're gonna be in agreement. I think so because. I, you don't strike me as someone with a big enough ego to think that I would put you in first place. Because, I mean, honestly, dude, like, we went to high school together and all, but, like, it's getting kind of creepy now. And I need you to stop sending me those pictures. I just made all that up. Because I was too sweet this episode. I was going to go with, like, a, like, oh, like me, I'm all sweet and love and blah, blah, blah. It's stupid. Shut up, Alex. So, the point is, thanks for listening. I've been Alex. You have been other people. Namaste.